0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's a delight to be gathered together in some form this morning. Um, This is a special week in the life of the church. Of course, this is the week that we uh, mark really the the pinnacle of Jesus' ministry. Um, This is often called Holy Week, of course, marking this first Sunday being uh, Palm Sunday when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, followed by all of the events that we know so well that took place in that week following. Leading up to Good Friday, um, the day that Jesus Christ laid down his life as a sacrifice for our sins. And then next week, next Sunday, we'll celebrate uh, Resurrection Sunday. Now, I'm, of course, sad, as you are, that we won't be together for Resurrection Sunday. That's usually a very special day as we gather together. Nonetheless, I want um, this morning to be for us an opportunity to remind ourselves of the things that we want to be thinking about this week as we go throughout the week. And meditating on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, so, thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, thank you for joining in this live stream. And I hope that as we um, talk about the things in the Word this morning, and as we um, together think about those things that are important to us as believers, uh, we also know um, we also know the importance uh, of these things, and then um, share them with one another and uh, continue to be reminded. Um, This morning we're going to try to do a couple things that we haven't done before, Um, so I want to start off with just some announcements, and uh, after we do those announcements we're going to bring Pastor Dan in um, to read scripture to us and to pray. Uh, This morning I want to remind you first of all that um, normally the ladies gather on Sunday night, and uh, as as they gather this evening it's really just going to be a time of fellowship, so it'll be the same uh, zoom meeting that's in your email and uh, that you normally do for your book study. But then tonight as you gather, it'll be just a little bit more of a time of fellowship to catch up with one another, to find out how you can pray for one another, and then and then to spend some time uh, in prayer together. So that's six o'clock tonight. Ladies, I know you look forward to that. In addition, we are, of course, doing our, our life groups uh, via zoom. And so at 630, our children meet truth trackers, and uh, go over their verses, and do their lesson, and that kind of thing. And then at 7 o'clock, uh, you can just stay signed in to the same uh, Zoom meeting, and then uh, we'll switch right over at 7 o'clock to the adults gathering together, and that's our time uh, to fellowship around the Word of God, to remind ourselves of, of things that we're learning, uh, to discuss the sermon for this week, and then to pray together. Now I will tell you this too. Um, I am glad to be able to share the Word of God with you this way. I'm glad to be able to have um, this uh, this Facebook live, uh, but it is a very difficult way to preach. And I'm sure you can understand that a lot of times, as uh, as we're preaching the Word, we're looking at people, we're seeing what the reactions are, and of course, I can't see that uh, with you. Uh, you can make comments, of course, uh, as we're live and that kind of thing. But what I would encourage you to do is as we Talk about things in the word um, i 'm going to really look to you on Wednesday nights to get your reaction to get your feedback to get your questions, so as you take notes and um, uh, we spend time together on Sunday morning in the word, I would just encourage you to also uh, be thinking forward to Wednesday night when we can gather together and see each other and um, and then uh, bring those things up on Wednesday night, and that will enrich our discussion so be thinking about that even this morning as as we meet together, well, we are here in just a moment going to um, have a word of prayer uh, and read scripture, and so we're going to move over to Pastor Dan um, to. We're going to try to bring him in from home and uh, do our uh, scripture our prayer and scripture reading uh, this morning. Okay. Sorry about the technical glitch. We'll uh, just go ahead and have a word of prayer this morning together and uh, pray for those uh, of our number that uh, we're asking for protection um, from this virus. In addition, um, I know that those are difficult times for a number of people, and so we're going to lift up one another in prayer in just a moment, and then we will read Scripture together. Let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful for this opportunity We're thankful that we can gather together, encourage one another. I pray that even as we go throughout the week, that we would continue to do that, that we would uh, encourage one another as we are able to call, to text, to send messages. Um, We pray that you would protect those of our number that may be particularly vulnerable to this virus. Uh, We pray that you would uh, keep us healthy. But most of all, Lord, we pray that you would keep us spiritually healthy. I pray, Lord, that you would use this time in our lives as one that encourages us, that helps us to grow. And I pray, Father, that even in the life of our church, you would strengthen us by it. We thank you, Lord, for your work. This week, um, during this special time leading up to Easter, we are reminded of the work of Jesus Christ that he did on the cross for us. Thank you for sending your Son. Thank you for his death and his resurrection that purchases for us eternal life that we can enter into through faith and repentance. And I pray this week as we meditate on those truths that the gospel would come home to us once again, that it would would sink deep into our hearts, that that it might not just be something that we think about from time to time, but something that we really live out in a special way. I pray, Lord, that you would use even this morning to encourage us Help us to study Your Word together and to be reminded of the truths uh, that we see taught to us in Scripture. We pray these things in Your Son's holy and precious name. Amen. Just a moment, I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians, beginning in verse 18. So if you have a Bible there handy, I would encourage you to open to 1 Corinthians. Now, this passage is not one of the narratives um, that speaks of the crucifixion of Christ but it's actually Paul reflecting on the importance of the cross in doctrine. We'll be explaining and talking through this passage here in just a moment. But I would say this, uh, when, you dis- when we dismiss to your time of family worship, there is a reading in there uh, for the young people, for the children, uh, speaking of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I would encourage you to read that. Uh, in addition, you'll see at the top of the page, there's several scripture references, which are the uh, the, the scriptural texts um, that uh, speak of Christ's resurrection, uh, excuse me, death and resurrection. So depending on the age of your kids, uh, how old they are, how much time you want to spend, I would encourage you to maybe pick one or two of those passages as well to read from scripture and then discuss the resurrection. It'll be a time for us to reflect together on um, Jesus' death, what it means to us, the significance of the cross, how it purchased for our, uh, purchases our redemption, and then how the resurrection completes that work. And so I would invite you to read those scriptural texts, read um, that that reading there that's designed for the children, and then uh, reflect uh, on the significance of it, and we'll even be doing that this morning as we spend some time. So again, 1 Corinthians, uh, this will be from chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. And I will read down through verse 25. So, the Holy Spirit speaks through His servant, Paul. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And the Lord bless to our understanding this, the reading of his word. I recently saw a video clip that was discussing um, science and the importance of thinking critically. And this particular contributor on this video was talking about three different types of truth. And he categorized it this way. He said there is personal truth, there's political truth, and there's objective truth. I wonder, what's your reaction to that? Three different types of truth. And of course, the last category is objective truth, that which is empirically verifiable. What do you think of that? Well, as I, as I reflected on that, I was reminded that so many really do think about truth in those categories. Personal truth. Perhaps you've even heard people use the phrase, well, that's your truth or that's my truth. What, what they mean by that is it's not truth at all. That in fact, it is, it is subject to the viewpoint of someone. Well, that would, be, that would be an opinion. Truth is something that conforms with reality, that confirms what is, what is the case in the universe. Now, it is true that there are different ways of attaining truth or different ways of knowing truth. And so something, something like a, what a, some might call a personal truth or, or, or religious truth can be objectively true. It may not be verifiable in the same way that a scientific truth is, where we can bring it into a laboratory and, and demonstrate it with
1: our five senses. But just because something is outside the realm of our five senses doesn't mean it is not true. the person and work of Jesus Christ is is true.
0: It conforms with reality. It is actual. Jesus Christ actually lived and died and rose again. If that's not true, then as Paul says later in this same letter, we are of all men most miserable. Now, that's chapter 15, in fact, in Easter's past, we've actually preached from 1 Corinthians 15, but, but in this passage, Paul is now beginning an argument. Let me just kind of give you a quick overview. The book of 1 Corinthians is written to a carnal church. It's written to a church that had trouble getting along with one another. There was a lot of fighting. There was a lot of discord. There were a lot of things going on in the church that reflected carnality, a fleshly living, and so here you have a group of people who are believers. They'd been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, yet they were living as though, in many ways, the gospel had not, uh, it had not uh, permeated all aspects of their church life. And so Paul really is scolding them in a lot of ways in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you see uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, you are thinking about a letter to a church that had a lot of things that needed to be corrected. Well, it's interesting how Paul goes through his arguments to the Corinthian church. He really starts off with a with a greeting in chapter 1, and then he addresses this problem of, of sectarianism, the differences, the, the divisions that existed amongst them. They're in the middle of chapter 1. But soon after that, he goes right immediately to the grounds for his argument, which is the gospel. And so there at the end of chapter 1, he, he really... It talks about the hinge pin of the gospel, which is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that was what we read together beginning in verse 18. So I want us to just reflect on these words for a few moments together, and then we'll uh, dismiss you for family worship. So in verse 18, we see there is a, a division that is laid down. It's the division of the cross. The cross draws a bold line divides people into two categories. The, the gospel, in some ways, is, is divisive, and Paul articulates what he means by that in verse 18. He says, the message of the cross is foolishness on the one hand. On the other hand, it is, is power. So, for whom is it foolishness? We see that in verse 18. For whom is it foolishness? It is to those who are perishing. So, for those to whom the gospel has not yet been applied, it is foolishness. Now, what do we mean when we say that, that the gospel has not yet been applied? Well, the Bible makes clear that every one of us are born in a state of separation from God. Now, I don't know who all is watching this morning, but perhaps you are uh, watching our feed this morning, and, and you've heard this term gospel bantered about, or, or you think about what is the importance of the cross or Jesus resurrection. uh, Let me explain very clearly. We are born in a state of separation from God because of something called sin. Sin is something that I'm guilty of. It is something that you are guilty of, every one of us. Now, our sins may look a little bit different. We may express our sinfulness in different ways, but the reality is that every one of us are sinners we're sinners from birth, but we're also sinners by our ongoing rebellion against God. In fact, the scripture makes clear that we are at enmity with God. That means, that means we are fighting against him. We're not just misguided, but we are actually in rebellion against God. Well, that rebellion has earned for us separation from God. Not just separation in this life, but really separation in the life to come, we actually deserve an eternity separated from Him, an eternity of punishment. You say, well, that, that seems harsh. That seems, that seems mean. Uh, surely God is a God of love and a God of justice, and, and that is true. We'll get to that in just a moment. But the reality is God, God is a just God. He can't overlook our sin. We are in rebellion against Him from our birth, and so our sin deserves punishment. But the good news is this. The gospel is this. That Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, came from heaven to live a life on this earth that was free of sin. He, he did the things that he was to do, and he, and he refrained from the things that he was not to do. He lived the life that you and I cannot live. And he died. He died a cruel death on a terrible cross. That's what we mark this week. Now, why did he die? Well, he died to pay the penalty that you and I owe for our sins. You see, we should have paid that penalty. But Jesus Christ took upon him the, the wrath of God that we deserve so that we could go free. Well, how then can a person go free? How, how can that, that sacrifice be applied? The Bible teaches that sacrifice is applied through repentance and faith. That is to say this, every one of us are guilty before God of sin. Will we continue in that sin? Will we, will we continue to shake our fist and, and be rebels against God, or we, will we submit to him saying, God, you're right, I'm wrong? Now, don't misunderstand. This doesn't mean that we'll live a perfect life, but repentance is a change. It is a turn It is a turn from my way to God's way, that that I'm wrong and God is right. It it goes right along with the idea of belief or faith. In fact, repentance and faith go together because repentance is, is believing what God has said. And when we put our dependence on Jesus Christ, when we exercise faith in him, we turn from our sin, then Christ's sacrifice is applied to us. And now God sees us not in our own goodness, but in the goodness of Jesus Christ. And I wonder this morning how many people are watching, listening to this, maybe even watching the recording later, for whom you've never had forgiveness of sin. Are you in a right relationship with God this morning? Or is there, is there standing between you and God a barrier of sin? That's the whole reason Jesus Christ died. He died so that you, my friend, could have forgiveness of sin if you'll enter into that through faith and repentance. If you're watching this morning and you want to get in touch with us, feel free to call the church office, uh, text us, leave a message. You can also send an email to info at nhbcroundrock.org, and we'd be glad to have one of our members get in touch with you and answer your questions, walk you through the Bible, and help you to understand how you can know for sure that your sins are forgiven, that you're in right relationship with God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we mark this week, we
1: can have forgiveness of sin. That cross, that gospel is, Paul says in verse 18, the power of God. This is the power
0: that the cross provides, that, that it makes us new. It transforms us when we enter into his work by faith and repentance. Oh, but for those who have not repented, that seems stupid. That seems foolish, that, that, you, would, that you would stake your eternity on, on the death of someone who lived 2,000 years ago. And that's exactly what Paul affirms for us in verse 18, that that's, that's foolishness. To those who are perishing. So, this is the contrast that is set up in verse 18. Paul continues his argument in verses 19 through 24. We'll look at that more in just a minute. But the capstone of our, his argument, what he's driving towards, is verse 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, the weakness of God is stronger than men. Do you ever get amused at your kids? who think they know so much. (laughs) Maybe you've got little ones at home, and uh, they think they've got something figured out. And how much smarter than than you they are, right? And they explain to you in all of their five-year-old wisdom why a certain thing is this way, not the way you think it is. Do you ever kind of chuckle and and smile and say, well, okay. (laughs) Why? Because you understand things better than they do. You've been around a lot longer than they have. You've seen things that they haven't seen, and their, their wisdom is, doesn't even come up to you when you're, when you're tired and, and not thinking clearly. You can probably outperform them in your, in your, just because of the wisdom you've acquired through life. So the things that you've learned. Well, in a much, much greater way, there's a contrast between God's wisdom and man's wisdom man thinks he's so smart. Man thinks he's so uh, wise, yet yet he's not. I think sometimes we get frustrated, don't we? Because, because God, God doesn't always explain himself to us fully. One thing is clear though, God has given us his word. And in his word, he's told us everything that we need to know. And you say, well, I can't figure out why God this or why God doesn't this. Or the reality is
1: If we could figure out God, He wouldn't be God anymore. If we were as wise as God, that would be no
0: God at all. God's ways are higher than our ways, and we don't always fully understand them. This goes back to what we spoke a moment ago about faith. But man sometimes thinks that his wisdom is greater than God's. Well, this whole idea of a Savior coming to take the penalty for our sin. That we are not in right, with relationship with, we're not right relationship with God without some sacrifice, that doesn't measure to the wisdom of men. And so this is the argument that he makes in verses 19 through 20. God says, he quotes uh, the prophet, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And they ask these rhetorical questions in verse 20, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? This would be the, the learned one, the one who was degreed in their day. The scribe was the one that, that had the education. Where's the educated man? He says, where is the disputer? The, the word could be translated debater. The one who is, who is clever rhetorically, who is able to, to win the debate. Where is that one? God has made foolish the wisdom of this world. And he asks that as a question too. Hasn't, hasn't God made foolish the wisdom of the world? In other words, God's wisdom is so much greater than ours that this way of salvation, which may seem foolish, is far wiser. The reason that it seems foolish is because it's beyond our understanding. It's above our way of thinking. For since in the, Verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. Now, what does that mean? Well, very simply put, you and I, can we can ascertain, we can learn some things about God. In fact, if we just observe the creation around us, we will we will observe certain truths about God. But we can't fully know Him on our own. In our own wisdom, even with all of the scientific advancement, we can't really know God fully. This goes back to the opening illustration where where this scientist put in, sep- in a separate category, in kind of a subservient truth category, the things that may not be seen or provable in, in a laboratory experiment. Right? These are the things that are still true, but that doesn't mean that we can attain them with our own wisdom. And so, he reminds us in, um, in verse 21... In the wisdom, uh, the world through wisdom did not know God. Through our own strength, through our own ability, through our own intellect, through our own
1: wisdom, we can't fully know God. But it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God in His wisdom was pleased. Pleased use a simple message of salvation,
0: a simple message of Jesus Christ who came and sacrificed himself for our sin, a
1: message of a cross, an instrument of death, an instrument of torture in the Roman world to save those who believe. It
0: pleased God through the foolishness of this message preached. Now the word preached Is not always what we think of. It would certainly include this kind of a situation where one person is explaining the word, kind of broadcasting the word, or what you might see at your church normally when a pastor stands up and preaches. But it's really the idea of proclaimed. And so this wouldn't be limited to that kind of pulpit preaching, but really the proclamation of the gospel. And so this morning, I'm sure many of you who are watching are believers, you have been saved. It's all of our responsibility to be proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ because it is through this message that we are saved and that others can know Jesus Christ. God, in His wisdom, chose to reveal Himself to us in the person of His Son.
1: So, so verse 23, we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. This is
0: the the centerpiece, the foundation stone of all the good news of Jesus Christ is that he died for our sins. He was slaughtered. He, He suffered the death that you and I should have suffered. And that is the message that we preach. Christ crucified on our behalf. Now, that message is to some problematic. It articulates that in verse 23. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block. Now, it's interesting that that word that is translated stumbling block in our English version is actually the word from which we get our English word scandal or scandalize. That's the the underlying word in the original language. It's a scandal, he says.
1: This preaching of the cross is scandalous. It's offensive to the Jews. To, to those who, who know of God, it is scandalous that, that, that
0: God would work in this way. Well, it's interesting because it's still scandalous to religious people. The, the gospel, the true gospel of the Bible, the gospel of the New Testament, the gospel of Jesus Christ is scandalous to those who are religious. Well, why do you say that? For this very reason, religion is all about what I can do to earn my way to God, what I can do to to curry God's favor. I do this and this and this and this. Ask people, ask them, do you believe that when you die, you will go to heaven? Well, yes. Why? Well, because I've kept the golden rule and I'm kind to my neighbor and I do good to others and... None of that merits us anything. Only Jesus Christ is the one that can merit standing before God. Well, that's scandalous. Are you trying to tell me that all of my goodness, all of my giving, all of the kindness that I exercise, that's of no value in earning favor with God? That
1: is scandalous. The message of the cross is a scandal to those who are religious.
0: But he doesn't stop there. He says to the Greeks, that is those non-Jews, those who are sophisticated, those who are cultured and pride themselves on their ability to reason and argue. This is one of the things that the Greeks were known for even to this day. Many of our devices of logic and rhetoric come from the Greeks, from the Greco-Roman culture. So here is a group of cultured, intelligent, wise people. To them, the gospel is foolishness. Well, that hasn't changed today either. There are many who elevate the wisdom of man, the knowledge of man, the learning of man to such an extent that it's foolish to think that a Jewish carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago is our Savior upon whom we have to depend, that we have to look to him to be made in right relationship with God. That, that seems foolish, which is where Paul started in verse 18. That's foolish to those who are sophisticated and wise. But to those who are called, this is a reference that Paul frequently makes to those who are in Christ, those who have been called, those who are, who are now, we might say, saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. To those who are called Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. And so this week, as we reflect on the cross, I wonder this morning, what is it for you? Is the cross the message of hope that that saves you from your sin and gives you right relationship with God, that you live in the light of the cross, or is it to you foolishness? I wonder... Have you ever seriously considered the claims of Jesus Christ? Have you taken an earnest look at who Jesus Christ was, the work that he did? Perhaps there's someone watching this morning who who this time in the world and all the things that are going on are causing you to reflect, causing you to think. May I just challenge you to, to read some Christian apologists who can well explain the message of Jesus Christ and its significance. I would challenge you beyond that, read the Gospel of John that presents Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did. Again, if there's any way that we can help you in that journey, we as a church are happy to do that. And so again, the concluding argument there in verse 25 that we referred to earlier, the foolishness of God
1: is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. So celebrate that this week.
0: Think about God and His wisdom. Not just the gospel and what it means for me, because I'm saved, or I have a ticket to heaven. But what does it mean in reflecting on who God is? The wisdom that God has, the gospel is the expression of God's wisdom played out in mankind. And that, my friends, is the power of the cross. That is the power of the gospel. Well, I want you to reflect on that here as you gather together with your families. And as we transition to that, the very last thing that we're going to do, I'm going to close in prayer here in just a moment. And then we will advance to to a song that will play both the lyrics and the music for the power of the cross. And that'll be our transition to our family worship time. So you'll see it on your screen You'll hear you'll hear the song sung. Of course, if you want to sing along at home, you're absolutely welcome to do that. Um, But at minimum, I would ask you to look at those words, read those words, listen to the music, and reflect on this passage: the power of the cross. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll conclude our time together uh, with the power of the cross, and then you'll be dismissed to your time of family worship. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for. Your goodness to us. We're thankful for the power of the gospel that is your wisdom expressed to mankind. I pray that those who believe who are listening this morning would be reminded. We would be refreshed in our hearts to know that God has that, that you have given to us a means of salvation through Jesus Christ. May we also be bold in realizing that this message will be an offense to some. But to those who are perishing, it is is foolishness, it is a scandal. Help us to be bold nonetheless in giving the truth of Jesus Christ to others. And now this week, Lord, as we reflect, I pray that you would use these moments together to encourage us in our hearts as to the power of the cross.
1: And we pray these things in your Son's holy and precious name. Amen.